This week on Grip and Grin, Andrew and I dive headfirst in the 2021 whitetail season. As always, we outline our established goals for the upcoming season. We also share some recent purchases that will play a pivotal role in this season and many more to come. Looking over the essentials needed for the upcoming whitetail season is the first step in becoming successful. We wrap up discussions with a camera poll of the week and the initial steps needed to break the tree line. Welcome to another episode of Grip and Grin. Here we are. Changing the gears. Start, the start of whitetail season is upon us, dude. Here we are. I know. Summer has already flown by, and we both have been in the woods and prepper, preparing for the upcoming season. But as always, check out the Instagram page, like and subscribe, and always uh, share with your friends. Yeah, absolutely. Our Instagram is blowing up. And, uh, you know, the, the podcast has been doing quite well. A little shout out to uh, Virginia. I mean, they've been just listening hard. Um, so a little shout out to you guys out there. Um, thank you for following us. We appreciate it. Um, let's uh, recap some situations that we got coming into yeah, this 21, I think, 21 um, season. We haven't really talked about deer hunting at all, but we're both going to be in totally different scenarios or the two of us in different scenarios and I'm in a totally different area as a whole. Dude, like completely different. Like 180. I mean, you're in a completely different state. I mean, the we'll get into it, but the environment like you were saying is completely different. Uh, yeah, we'll get into it, but for you, nothing's for me, changed. Nothing's changed. The home turf, you know, the same, you know, legendary spots that I go to. A lot, nice. a lot of history, a lot of history, and it makes it a lot, a lot easier. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I have a pretty good sense of the traditional patterns of these deer, um, but I still collect data just to make sure that it's consistent. And, and it's kind of cool make to changes. S- exactly. It's kind of cool to see that from year to year, the consistency to, you know, support my theory or hypothesis of how these deer move. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. pretty cool. Um, so yeah, nothing really changed in my, uh, in my world <laughs> really. Nope. But. Not at all. But for me being down in mass kind of like changes everything. So I don't really have any properties. I've been reaching out to a lot of places. I'll get into that. Um, but new turf, new laws, new regulations, different, uh, atmosphere of people, I guess, different philosophies of, um, the community and, I'm only hunting with a bow once again, so, but everything's different from the season dates, start dates, end dates. Can't use a rifle down here. You can only use a buckshot or a slug and uh, primitive firearms. But everything from square one once again. <laughs> That's kind of your world, though. It's like, I mean, last year we were strictly bow, and going down to Massachusetts, like, you're you're limit you're you have this limitation. Like you're limited on what you can use and you're already a step up there. You're already used to that environment, really. Exactly, because last year I didn't use a rifle at all, first time ever. And, again, it's just like 
going to be weird because in rut, there's the rifle se- or the shotgun season doesn't start till December. So all bow hunters have an advantage in rut. That's kind of cool, though. Like, mm-hmm. that's almost like a advantage to um, bow hunters compared to, you know, Maine. You can harvest a deer in Maine with your bow during the rifle season, but, I mean, why would you? Like, I mean, you, uh, I'll say it, you, you did it last year, but uh, more power to you. But, I mean, if I have a, a choice between a bow and a rifle, I'm going to go rifle. Like yep. it's gonna it's it's basically insurance. Yep, yeah. And where I was located up in Maine during that time, I was hunting expanded, so I couldn't use a rifle or a shotgun as well. So, kind of another reason why I steered away from the firearm. But it also totally changed my outlook on hunting and how I approach it during rut because it's when you have a rifle in your hand, it's just totally different than when you're with a bow. And we're saying this. We're saying this because. When you put a rifle in your hand during the season, it's not a guarantee that you're going to get a deer. We're not saying that. But the the percentage of you getting a deer is probably higher because the range. range you're able to poke out a little bit further. And you can, different setups. You don't have to be right on travel corridors or in pinch points. You can back up a bit and you have a lot lar- larger view of where you're hunting and it's quite deadly <laughs> let me ask you this that that buck that you saw how you ended your season last year right yeah that massive buck that you saw if you had a rifle in your hand would you have taken that shot uh it would have been similar to your situation where you kind of shot through some puckers but i probably could have yep. because it was like to my right depending on the rifle obviously if i had like a 30 30 or a brush gun it would have been easy but just no shot, even with like a crossbow, it's just thick. Yeah, gotcha. So uh, let, we're going to dive into our 2021 season goals. Uh, last year in 2020, we went over our season goals uh, early on with you folks. And there are some repeating goals here, but there's also some new goals. Uh, Andrew and I kind of like threw goals at each other uh, to make things interesting, but we do have common goals between the two of us. Yeah, so, so there's always that one goal of getting meat in the freezer. Cliche as it is, I eat it every week. We both eat it every week. I eat it like every other day. So that's My obviously a given. Like, I'm like empty, dude. I'm uh, like almost gone. I'm, I still have a whole deer left, but I'm the only one eating it. So yeah, it's not like I true. have a family to feed. You know, it's just me eating it, so... By the time the season actually rolls around, which is a month later here, I'll be very low. But for the time yeah, being, I, I'm good. I have like a few packages of steaks and I got some uh, maple breakfast sausage. Oh, that's, that's about good. it. That's good. That's all I got, man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So going over my goals, you know, one of the big goals is just getting places to hunt, which last year I hunted all public, mostly public, and... um. Down here, it's not easy to get private. I've already contacted over 15 places, and I've been rejected every single time, so that's going well. 15. Now, you've contacted them. Was it in person, email, or phone? Um, everything except in person because I some of the places are like companies, so there's no one person to contact or farms. So gotcha. I've been re- reaching out via phone, email, Facebook Messenger, but every time I golf, I ask people, do you know places I can hunt? And that actually led to a public land spot that I found that I've been scouting pretty hard. But 
getting four properties with one being privates this season's goal. And then on top of that, I got to get the first out-of-state deer between the two of us. Right. I mean, that's, it's not a guarantee, but I mean, the likelihood of that happening is, is more in your favor. We'll say that for well, sure. Yeah. It's definitely more in my favor, but still like a whole hurdle. Cause you have right. to get the deer, you have to tag it in mass. You have to find a butcher down here. You have to do all the hoops down here. So going to be different, obviously. And you were saying that the deer population down there is actually like pretty dense as well. Eastern mass. Eastern Mass it is. Yeah. So comparable to Maine versus like where so, you are in Massachusetts. Yeah, so Western Mass is similar, and then Eastern Mass is much more, like twice as much. Gotcha. So moving on to your goals here, um, understanding the new ecosystems and environment. Expand on that because we've talked about that quite a bit this week. Yeah, so in Maine, you know, you have like obviously the big woods everyone talks about, and you also have like some farmland and some hemlocks and whatnot, some swamps. But here, it's just it's just a weird, weird woods where you'll have a ton of open woods where you have like these big tall pines and you can see for really far ways and there's not much undergrowth and there's no cover and you'll find no sign in there. But then you get into these swamps where it's just like this underbrush that's super thick. Then you'll have this weird like combination of the two where you have a bunch of vines and just weird, weird woods that I haven't seen in Maine. And it's just obviously different and it definitely funnels deer into these thicker areas and finding those spots has been kind of challenging on top of getting properties yeah but as we mentioned uh on the phone with each other the other night it's as you're walking through the woods these are giving you general ideas of like where are the deer gonna go where are the deer bedded down so you're 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 basically like uh, a memory pad just like recording everything as you're walking through the woods yeah i mean this is crucial and i'm like going off past experience where you i know like the deer are going to want thicker stuff they're going to want more cover they're not going to be walking in the wide open areas maybe some turkeys hopefully but um <laughs> good pull <laughs> <laughs> but you know it, it definitely makes scouting a little more interesting it's definitely building my skills as a white tail hunter as well because Starting from scratch, walking onto a new property, it's very um, demanding, mentally demanding, because like you don't know anything, you don't even know where to start, how to attack it, and just understanding how the woods down here work. And there's a ton of swamps. I didn't mention that, but there's just every property I've looked at that's public has a swamp on it, so really wet compared to what I'm used to, but. The density of the deer down here is actually higher than in Maine. However, the size then decreases. Right, right. Makes so, sense. So, And the other thing I was thinking about, too, is like, I mean, most of the sounds are going to be the same from Maine to Massachusetts, but you might have some new sounds that you're like, what the hell is that? Like, what? You new know, birds. New birds. That, like, that's just already different things. Me up. I've seen a couple new birds. I'm like, holy shit, I haven't seen that before, but... <laughs> But talking about like the doom noises, I hope last year I had the same goal. I do want to vocalize more. I want to be able to mm. grunt in a deer, maybe even rattle in a deer. But being able to actually make a noise that attracts a deer is definitely a goal of mine for the past two years running. And on top of that, I've already been a mobile hunter as I use my saddle, and we talked about it 
earlier in the year, go check out the pods. Um, I want to be even more mobile. I want to be able to adapt on the fly because I'm going to be hunting a lot of different properties per se. I'm not going to be hunting like two properties only. I'm going to have like hopefully three or four where I can bounce between depending on if they're public hunting pressure or what I'm seeing or getting from my trail cameras. So I was going to say you were pretty damn mobile last year. I sat like so many different trees. It's not even funny, but it produced not even that, but just like the fact that, you know, you have your, your ladder, uh, pieces and you have almost like an extension cord off of one of your ladders to uh, gain an extra step essentially like I'm looking at mobility in the in that sense really yeah I know and it's just a lot of times when I hunt I just pick a tree when I'm going in I already have a few trees I know I want to hunt and I just see the wind direction and I go set up in that area so it's a whole process for scouting it's a little bit different from what you do when you have like a lot or like a set stand right but, you know talking about the ladder a little bit one of your goals you had for me was to hunt at <laughs> your home turf this year because we don't normally deer hunt together at all we we don't i mean we did last year once once um and we are we had a pretty good interact interaction with uh, a couple of little spike horns well i did uh, but it, <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> it turned, it turned into a long night. But I mean, I mean, to share those moments, like I, I would, you know, that's my goal for not just you, but for us is to possibly have a hunt or two um, or three. <laughs> yeah, locally here where um, we could hunt together. Because every time we um, do hunt together, something happens. Something, something happens. interesting happens. Oh, I'll yeah. leave it at interesting because there's been success and failures in both. Correct. Yeah. So, so um, that's definitely my goal to you, but more or less for us. But uh, let's get into your goals now. Yeah. I my number one goal. I mean, I have like four distinct goals, and one of them was uh, the goal that you gave me. But um, number one goal, and you did this. You know, I would say not effortlessly, but you did it with ease last year. Is shooting a deer out of the saddle? Yeah, um, yeah. It's I definitely mean, a step. <laughs> uh, I've I've become comfortable with a saddle, but you know, shooting. I shot at a deer uh, out of the saddle um, in my expanded area, but uh, missed that deer. That deer jumped the arrow, and uh, you know it. it it gave me an idea of like, okay, this is how it's going to go, but I've still yet to shoot a deer out of my saddle. I do hunt some other tree stands, um, some ladder stands that are stationary, but, um, and those are in my, my money spots. Yep. So, yeah, but I found a money spot this year that I'm actually going to use the saddle in, um, it's close proximity. You know, those deer, when they come in, it's going to be thick and it's going to be quick, but that's where they're going. And so. I just want to make like a, a side note here. Like, even if you're hunting the same property, it's always nice and good to scout that property over and over and over again, take in new information. Because if you're sending the same tree every year, they're going to learn it and they're going to catch on to you and then they're going to adapt. So, you always want to have that one step ahead because you're trying to play chess, not checkers, even though that is also cliche, but <laughs> you do want to be adapting all the time because like you said you had a bunch of deer coming behind you so setting up behind you in the saddle is going to really help in the season hopefully 
And I we talked about this last year too with curveballs. You know, we talked about having a curveball in the season, but you know, this might be a long-term curveball. You have short-term curveballs and you have long-term curveballs. Um, you know, maybe this is a long-term a long-term uh, curveball because like you said, we take notes after each season and we look back to those notes for the upcoming season and that was one of them was those deer are coming behind me. I got to have something a little bit more in that general vicinity. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, like you said, some curveballs are a little more used than others. We had, we'd set up one spot that was like the ultimate curve that I set. I was, in, did you ever sit down there? I sat down there once, I think. So like, yeah, you, you name your, your spots like Alpha, Bravo, Charlie, whatever. And, uh, <laughs> this one spot echo was just like way in there. And, I sat down there once. I think, like you said, one time maybe. It's like you only yeah. sat that spot twice, but it yeah. just throws a wrench into everything you're doing. And then you right. rotate between your other spots, and then you can catch them when they're least expecting it. And that's when you shot your uh, ace last year. So correct. Yep. But so. building off ace, you want to shoot a 200 pounder. Yeah. I mean, I've shot some some beautiful bucks. You know, High Tower in 2017, uh, Ace last year. You know, these are two beautiful, you know, bucks that are worthy of the wall. You know, what I mean, like they're just pristine bucks that you just dream of. But both of those bucks, and an observation that I made last year was, a lot of bucks were taken in Maine last year beautiful racks massive racks i mean there was even a deer that had a 162 inch spread i think it was um and uh you know it still didn't even top 200 it was actually a pound less than ace it's just so weird the racks were really big but then the body size was really small so really um, small of like relative to the rack but the weight still isn't nothing to cough at <laughs> right right i mean ace weighed in at like 186 you know beautiful deer but to shoot a deer over 200 pounds dressed i say dressed um <laughs> and uh that is like one of my my bucket list my my dreams is to shoot a deer at that capacity now fully dressed (laughs) fully dressed now i i pulled this up on the main inland fisheries uh website um to be part of the big buck club as they state it okay they state in in quotations here okay to qualify the minimum dressed weight without heart lungs and liver must be 200 pounds so you got to reach in there Get those out, but leave everything else in. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Like, you, I know to get to those is a pain in the ass. You have to go through the paunch. You have to remove the paunch. That's AKA dressed, correct? Yep. So, but I know of people, which I will not mention by name, but I know of people that have entertained the idea of leaving the paunch in, but removing those three components <sighs> and then going, oh, it's over 200 pounds. That's bullshit it is that is bullshit what like what is the weight of the heart lungs and what is it heart lungs and liver liver so what's that it's not like that much weight but the whole 30 pounds the whole paunch is like the paunch is like 50 60 pounds easy so you're gonna have like a if you left it all in it's like 300 pounds like like uh, like don't do that 
like a dress deer is everything out of that son of a gun, right? If you shoot a deer, like for example, my uncle shot one uh, way back, way back uh, when I was like in middle school, but he shot a deer that was 236 pounds dressed, like everything out of it. That's a big deer. So it's that like a- 300 pounds walking. <laughs> oh yeah, dude, that's a big boy. So that's my goal. Uh, it's always been one of my goals is to be in that main club, but I'm still pursuing it. I've shot some great bucks. They just haven't topped it. So, But now for yeah. your next goal, the one that I chose for you was to shoot yes. two deer by the October lull, which is a little bit subjective when the lull is, <laughs> but I still think it's very possible. A big part of it due to your crossbow, which we'll get into later. Yep. It's definitely, I would say, a challenge. Like, I mean, we look at each other and we're like, you should at least have one by then, at least, like, knock on wood, right? But, I mean, to have two, um, looking at the expanded zones, it's, that's, I mean, so much can go wrong there. So much can happen within those zones. It's, it's weird to think about it, and this is just a little side note, where Maine, you can start hunting in September in the expanded zones. I can't start hunting until right before the October lull, practically, like the first week of October. So you're going to have a whole five, four weeks ahead of me. So yeah, you, was, you could have expanded, two deer before I even hunt. <laughs> well, we'll see. But the expanded zone in Maine, was it the second week in September it usually starts? Yeah, usually right after, a week after Labor Day, something like that, usually. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, that's going to be a challenge. That's going to be a challenge. But if you um, do it, then you're sitting absolutely gorgeous for oh, the yeah. rut. So then it's uh, just, you can just sit game. back and relax. <laughs> let let Mother Nature go in motion for you and just uh, let it unfold in front of you. I mean, yeah, it's a waiting game at that point, uh, waiting for the Super Bowl to show up. So, um I like that goal. That's a good goal. Um, Challenge accepted, sir. Um, But uh, moving on, and you mentioned crossbow. Um, That is another goal on my list, is to shoot a deer with the crossbow. Um, Go ahead. So we're going to start a new new segment called What's in the Bag. So we got some new gear, and we want to just talk about the new stuff we get, some of the stuff we've been using. And for today's new segment, What's in the Bag, we're going to start with the crossbow, which is hella nice. Absolutely hella nice. You bought this a couple months back. Sexy. It is just sexy. gorgeous. Um, you know, I we, we joke about this. It's kind of like an inside joke, but... You know, I, I buy nothing but the best. Like It's a it's... fact, though. That's, <laughs> where, there's more to this than the crossbow, and it, it will show my point thoroughly. <laughs> no, I'm not saying that these things get you dear. Like, oh, I'm going to buy the best products out there. I'm going to buy the best equipment, and I have a deer in the freezer. Like, it's guaranteed. No, it's not. Um, it just adds, you know, another element to your, um, you know, toolbox that you can actually use. So the crossbow that I bought, you know, it's shooting 450 feet per second. Um, that It's moving. Well, I mean, my bow is shooting, what, 375, 350? Yeah, yeah. So um, this was the other thing that I found when I first shot it. The trigger pull on it is two pounds. 
That is so light. Yep. Like you just literally press your finger on it and it's already gone. Yep. It's like holy shit. Yep. Um so that was pretty badass. Uh the first time I shot it, it like kind of like jumped me a little bit. I was like, wow, that is just borderline a lot of gun. power. Yeah, uh y- yeah. And <laughs> you and I we talked about this before I bought it. You know, I kept going back and forth. I'm like, ah, it's, but it's getting away from bows. Like, I, I want to remain that bow hunter. I want to keep bow hunting. You're like, but it's a crossbow. Like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> so if you're going to get it, it's like, why not use it? And it's not like the bow is like another. It's obviously like a different hunt. But at the same time, you it's a piece of equipment you can use in place of a bow, so why don't you use it? And if you're able right. to get it and use it, then why not take advantage of the tools that you have? Right. So, I mean, this thing is it's pretty compact. It's pretty badass. It's 29 inches long. Um, you know, it's 10 inches wide at, uh, at release. And then once you pull back uh, with a silent cranking system on it, I mean, it's like That's nice. eight, <laughs> six or eight inches. Yeah, it's silent, so it's pretty, uh, you know, efficient. It's quiet. Um, I contemplated adding on some sound dampeners. I've seen some guys do that, but the fucking arrow's moving so fast. Like, it's, why would I need sound dampeners? I don't. Really, it's not like you're trying to silence it. It's already quiet to begin with. Obviously, it's a lot louder than a bow. I was gonna say it's pretty loud. It's like, pretty loud. It sounds like a it's pellet like a rif- gun. It's like a rifle. It's, it's like, like a an rifle. air. It's like an airsoft rifle. Like it sounds like a pellet gun, like a high velocity pellet gun when you shoot it. Um, but with this new equipment, like you know, what's going through my head is like new procedures, like getting into the woods, getting into the tree stand, um, just carrying it with all your gear. Like if you're in yeah. the saddle. That's going right. to be a totally different way you walk through the woods. How you know how to? It's a whole process going from a rifle to a bow, learning how to carry a bow, and then learning right. how to sit with a bow. But then you have to do it all over again with a crossbow. And it is set up with a scope, which is nice, and it has two different LEDs on it, so I can use like a green LED for a brighter day, like a sun high uh, high noon type of hunt, or uh, there's also a low red setting that I can actually use, which is just badass. badass it's just hell. incredible. Um, but, you know, with the saddle, you know, like with one of my goals with the saddle, it's like, how is it going to, how am I going to shoot? Because last year I hunted with a rifle out of the saddle and my um, 270 that I have, which is much shorter, was ideal. A shorter gun was ideal for that type of tree stand for the saddle. But with a crossbow, I don't know how those tether cords, how that's all going to work. So that's going to be interesting to actually get up in that saddle and do a couple practice shots to see what it's all about. I think, you know, just speaking from my mind right now, that you're you're going to be limited in your mobility. Not like with, when you're with the bow in the saddle, you can shoot 360. I think it's going to be more, more directed on one side of the tree and you're just going to be swinging that one side of the tree. Because it's going to be hard to lift and go over, but that's on your setup and the tree you choose to hunt from, which is something you got to take into account. Right. So I'm thinking of that new that new tree that we have out there at uh, Delta. You know, on either side of that tree, I have basically deer trails. You know, which deer trail am I going to? You know, if it's just going to be, I'm trying to play the role out my mind, and it's it's going to be tricky. 
So when I practice my shooting, what I'm going to do is set up exactly how that tree is and set up a target on one side and one on the other and shoot from both angles to practice. Like if a deer comes from this way, can I swing around the tree and am I able to shoot with that crossbow? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, but uh, we'll see how it works. Um, I'm sure I'll be reporting out to you guys on the issues that I encounter, but yep, uh, yep. <laughs> it's going to be interesting, but it definitely provides me with new opportunities. You know, there are some instances last year that I had where if I had a crossbow, I probably wouldn't have lost, you know, the spike horn that I shot out with my bow, you know? And to build off that, it's going to totally change how you look at archery season because mm -hmm. now you don't have to be hunting those runs like I was talking about earlier. You can back off the runs more or you can set up in different spots where you normally couldn't have when you have a bow because you're thinking, oh, I can't, I don't shoot over 45 yards. I mean, I'll take yep. a poke at a 40-yarder, but then if you're going over that, it's like, uh. But right. now with a crossbow, 60 yards, 70 yards is not out of the question. I mean, it has be... a real range to it. Oh, it does. I'll be honest. Like, I was shooting 50 yards at my old man's house. And 50 yards, like, I mean, that arrow's there, lickety-split. But 50 yards, dude, that is a poke. I just have to get comfortable with the crossbow. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to get, I have to build that, uh, what's the word I'm looking trust. for? I have to build, yeah, it's, there's got to be some trust in the equipment. I just haven't shot it enough to be like, all right, uh, you know, there's a deer at 65, quartering away. I feel comfortable with it. You know what I mean? It's mm -hmm, just, mm -hmm. I got to get comfortable with all these shots. And when you talk about shooting it, it goes through the freaking foam Dude, target. Freaking, so people are like, you didn't buy a crossbow target. I did. I bought a crossbow target. It's like. It's like one of the toughest crossbow targets. The friggin' arrow is almost going straight through it. I mean, I have to use like a little rubber mallet to kind of tap the end of it to get it started so I can pull it out of the block. It's crazy. It's buried, like right up to the fletchings. It's like, holy it's shit. It's going to do some damage. That is going to have some punch to it when it hits a target. Oh, my gosh. So we're actually talking about mechanical broadheads, too. I still got to order those, but... Um. Yeah, you were you were contemplating between fixed and mechanical. I think we're gonna have a whole t uh, discussion in another news segment on a later date, uh, talking about the two. But yep. definitely considering going with fixed this year for different reasons. But I digress. <laughs> so we'll go down that rabbit hole later on. Yeah, yeah, because you know that that conversation could be easily twenty minutes. So. Oh yeah. But you recently made another couple purchases. Your first one being <laughs> boots, because you desperately needed boots. Like that was without a question, of all your needs, it was getting. That was boots. a necessity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I bought um, boots that were eight hundred uh, grain insulation. Um, I did have 1600s that were much, much warmer, but what I found was like my feet were sweating inside the boot and then my feet would get cold from that sweat. Um, I was still wearing some wool socks, but I mean, like you, my feet get so cold so quick. Um, yeah. mm -hmm. so I went with a lower, a lower insulation just so if, if need be, I could layer up some, some socks there too, some wool socks. Um, but, uh, yeah. I mean, definite purchase had to be done. Um, got them already early in the season so that I don't have to worry about them coming in the mail right before the hunting season starts, you know? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. 
Um, also bought, uh, you made a good point when I bought those boots is you have to think about, about turkey hunting too. It's like, you know, you don't want to go with something too warm because if you're using it in turkey season, your feet are going to be just absolutely sweating. So, um, that was a smart move to go with that kind of mid range insulation. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Cause I have 1000s and I, like I've said again and again, and I'll keep saying it as it gets colder, I get cold easy. So the thousands give me a, just a little bit extra that I need just to sit there for a few more minutes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but uh, the pattern that I got on my boots now matches the pattern of new camo that I have. Um, I made another substantial purchase. Um, <laughs> well, the, the one of many. <laughs> Uh, you know, I so I made a substantial purchase uh, last year. I well, I shouldn't say last year. Over the past like three years, I've been like drooling over some of this new camo, and it's revolutionary. It just keeps getting better and better each year, and it's hyped up quite a bit. But I'm like, is it worth the hype? Like, I- I'm willing to take the bait. Like, let's try this stuff out. Um, my old camo is, I mean. I could have gotten away with another year or two easy with the camo that I have, but I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a full send here and just commit to this, this new camo and uh, let's see what it's all about. And so far, you know, just trying it on, it is, it is pretty incredible stuff. Um, just the flexibility, the range of motion, the warmth. Um, the buns, pretty, right? One of the buns rubber or something. The freaking buttons are rubber so that like snapping you know if if you're um i have like ca- a cargo pocket on my old camo and the buttons would like cling together so you have to button them in order for it to be quiet this new camo it's rubber so like even if they're unlatched it still doesn't make noise it's absolutely incredible um so i'm pretty I'm pretty psyched about it, but at the same time, like anything else, you buy a new thing and you're kind of skeptical of it. You're like, is this new pattern? Like, are they going to see me? Like, you know, you always have this like almost like uncertainty of like, is it, is it going to work? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. so, I mean, we'll see. We uh, will see. We definitely we'll see. And we'll definitely have to get some pictures of you with all your gear and your crossbow going out in the woods. You were saying, we were talking about the other day, you're like, you're the most expensive thing walking through the goddamn woods. <laughs> Literally more than my car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but, I mean, my biggest thing was with buying this new camo, it's not just, ooh, it's nice. Ooh, it's expensive. It's not that. It's the fact that it's comfortable. I want to be more comfortable sitting in the woods you know, I did a 12-hour sit last year, and it fucking sucked. It was miserable. Um, you know, with this new camo, I'm hoping that it will make sits maybe not as long as that, but, <laughs> you know, those long sits a little bit more comfortable. I th- um, if you're buying something of quality, this goes back to, like, all the purchases. If it's a crossbow or boots or camo, it's just good. If you're getting something of quality, it's going to improve your time in the woods. Because I've been out there miserably cold or wet or something. And it, at that point, it's just not enjoyable. So doing right. the things that make it more enjoyable will add to success. 
and make you happier and just improve the overall quality of your hunt. And it's just fucking badass. And it's just fucking badass. (laughs) But I'm giving you, I actually went through my camo last night. I sent you a message and I went through my camo tote and I was like, I'm like, Jesus, he's going to get like a warm hunt type of camo. And now he's getting like a a cold hunt camo, like a whole setup and everything. We were talking about the other day. So my camo is so fucking old. I mean, I only have... I had some newer pants and newer that are two years old. That's it. I've been running the same camo for years. As long as I can remember hunting, I've been hunting with the same camo, which is You'll look crazy. the part this year. You'll look the part. Yeah, you know? I, I'm out there with my mis- mismatched camo, but it still works. <laughs> it, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's the thing is like, you know, I know I can kill deer, you know, with the camo I have and all this other stuff. But like I said, just the comfort level, I'm not comfortable when I'm sitting most of the time. Um, or I'm weighing, um, excuse me, I'm wearing a substantial amount of layers. And we talked about this the other day, like, you know, three or four pairs of pants, like just to block out the wind, like shit like that. It's like, if I can just wear like one or two layers and be more than comfortable, like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't I do that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, you're paying a little extra, but comfort comes with a price, I guess. And it's like it's the hobby, and it puts meat in the freezer. It's like it's not going to waste, and it's not only going to last one year. It's going to last right. a long time. So it's an investment you can look over five, ten years, and with yep. your crossbow, many more than that. So it's not like it's one year, oh, I got to drop a fuck ton of money every single year because now i i i couldn't even think of a purchase you could make a substantial purchase like you got the new rangefinder from last year you got camo you got the crossbow you have your rifle you're sitting pretty yeah that's an understatement for sure um but like we were talking about the other day like you know that first time and like i know a lot of people out there are gonna be like Fuck yeah, I know what he's talking about. Like back in the day when we, you when you wore like shitty jeans, they were just like the real denim. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm. the ones where you go to like sit down or step up onto like a ladder or something and there's no stretch in them whatsoever. And now they make jeans that like have a little bit of flexibility in them and you can like do squats, like prisoner squats in these jeans and you're like the range of motion is just insane and you're like Oh my gosh, yeah. where have you been all my life? Yeah, yeah. That is this camo. Like the range of motion is just absurd. It's lightweight. Um, like it's just everything about it. You're just like, oh my gosh, like where have you been all my life? Yeah, revolutionary it's just re- for sure. Revolutionary. You said it. So uh, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait. Uh, it's still in the box. I put it on, then I put it back in the box because I haven't got my uh, detergent yet. So. Yeah, um, which Th- that leads, leads perfectly into-, into the next yes. topic of discussion. Let's go. Is uh, we got to get the essentials, and, and you know, maybe early in some of your eyes, but it's never too early to get stuff before it won't be on the shelves any longer. So yeah. I made my scents and scent killer purchase online, so I'm set for the season. But again, scent control stuff, have that be detergent, dryer sheets, sprays, extra like. Uh, spray bottles you're gonna need all that you're gonna need your dough peas your 
your buck sense, your estrus. You want to get all that taken care of before November hits and you're going to the store and you cannot find it on the shelves anywhere. It's better right. to get that now, have it ready, so then when the time comes, you're sitting pretty and other people are looking desperately for it. And you said that when it shipped to you, because you ordered it online, it came in already like sealed baggies? Yeah, sealed bag, Not even baggies, like sealed plastic bags. So That's there's awesome. not like you can't reseal them, but I'm not going to open them until I use them. And right. this little tidbit I found, I don't know the facts behind it. I was just lightly researching it. But if you open scent killer, so let's say it's detergent or spray, it actually loses its effectiveness after it's been opened. So if you're so having, it's almost like a medication yes. in a sense. So it might have an expiration date of a few years, but it will lose its effectiveness faster than that if it's opened or not stored properly. So keep that in mind. If you're pulling out the three-year-old bottle, maybe think about getting a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm guilty of that. I definitely have some spray balls. I'm like, when's this? Ah, oh, fuck it. It's still like, whatever. I, I actually went from the earthy kind of like smell to like a more like just scentless spray um, last year. And I feel like that scentless spray was a, a better move in a sense. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um but uh, like you said, the you know deodorant, bars of soap. I mean, you even do dryer seat, dryer sheets. Um, you know, we do it all, and then we hang it outside so that there's no that there's no scent to it. Or if you don't have that availability, you put it into a tote. Yeah, um, that's why I'm that running because I and have I always put the tote out. I always put the tote outside in addition. But um, are you gonna be able to put the outside, or you just gonna keep it inside? No, I'll keep it inside, like I did last year. You know, I just. I keep it in my car mostly because I, yep. I literally don't have a place to store it outside. So given the fact that I'm in a, an apartment complex, it doesn't really work for me to put it outside. There's no real place to put it where, A, it's not going to get stolen or tampered with, and, yep. B, it doesn't really smell like woods. <laughs> right. I mean, I opened up my tote last night, like I was saying, going through the camo, and like I just like dunked my head into the camo. I'm like... Oh, it smells like the woods. Like, it just smelled so good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but talking about camo, you know, coming off of that, you do want to make sure that you go through your camo. You know, are your gloves still in tip-top shape? Um, you know, do you need a new mask? Do you have a hat? Was there something that you needed towards the end of the season last year? Making sure that you're covering all your bases. Like, for example, I need wool socks. I need new wool socks this year. Like, getting those things now so that you're not rushing and trying to find uh, that stuff come the season because it will be in high demand come season. And I don't need any of that because you're going to give me all of your old shit. <laughs> so, uh, literally, I was putting it into a trash bag going, I I might hang on to this. I'm like, no, what the fuck are you doing? Just give it. No, give it to him. <laughs> I know he's going to use it like frick, like whatever. It's going to go to good um, use for many more years. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. Because I'm not well, looking I, to make any big purchases in the, the distant future. So uh, that's my old be... man, my old man was like, hey, he's like, what about me? Going to give me some stuff? I'm like, dad, the shit's like size medium. You would take like <laughs> XL. Like, uh, you're not going to fit in it. Um, but yeah, just those little loose ends that you need to tie up with your uh, with your stuff. So going through everything that you have. Which brings us to gun, bow, setups, and ammo. So what I did recently, I've been needing to desperately. Maybe I should have done it last year, but 
Desperately is an understatement. Desperately. I had to get new cables on my bow. I just needed to revamp my bow. My bow needed a little TLC, and I take great care of my bow. I just haven't gotten new cables or uh, sound dampeners or whatnot for it. So I don't even have my bow right now. It's currently getting worked on. But definitely get that done now and start shooting it a little bit before the season rolls around. You're like, oh, shit, I need a new peep sight or I need new arrows. And then what we talked about, getting ammo for your guns, that's fine off the shelves. Ammo is a bitch to find right now, as you can imagine. But thankfully, I have connections. I actually got 308 ammo, and people are like, where the hell did you find that? Um, you know, you figure out when these stores are getting their shipments, and literally the same day that these stores are getting their shipments, by noontime, they're sold out. So I actually kind of... <laughs> subcontracted a gentleman to find me some ammo and he did and it was the exact stuff that i shoot um so i was very thankful for that kind of pricey 20 uh, rounds i had 50 bucks yeah for 20 rounds i mean you're not going to shooting anytime soon <laughs> no hell no hell no you, the target shooting is uh yeah kind of fading to be honest but you should you should sight in your rifle at the beginning of the season, you know, at least two to three shots to make sure it's sighted in. But, um, yeah, I mean, ammo is definitely hard to find, and if you're if you only have like two three shots and you need some ammo, you need to start looking now, like yep. yesterday. Yeah, um, that's essential. Not getting any easier, only going to get more tough as the season approaches. So exactly, keep your eye out for exactly. that. Check out your game cameras. Make sure those are functioning or get new ones if you need them. And then also get batteries. <laughs> I know you've been talking about the lithiums a lot. so Dude, I love the lithium batteries. And the reason why, they're expensive as shit, okay? Don't get me wrong. They are very expensive. However, they can withstand negative uh, 40 degrees Fahrenheit all the way up to 140 degrees Fahrenheit. So that range of temperature, the fluctuation going from like July all the way to maybe leave them out into January to see like what made it through the season. I get my cameras out of the woods around like, I don't know, January or so. And the can't like the batteries are still full. Mm-hmm. Like they're still good to go. Mm-hmm. So I highly recommend the lithium batteries, not just like your generic, um, double a battery or triple a battery. The lithiums are worth the investment. Um, it definitely pays off. Nothing's worse than going to your camera. Cough, cough inside joke <laughs> and your camera is fucking dead and you go what the hell that's like the worst feeling in the world um so you know going through those motions to make sure you have all the proper equipment all the necessities is key um batteries not only for your game cameras but also your rangefinder. you know make sure that your battery and your rangefinder is at full capacity going into the season uh, so you want to make sure that that is all good to go, and yes, I do have a lithium battery for the <laughs> rangefinder too. And I told you I got a spare one, so don't buy one. So yep, yep. And on top of that, bow light or sight oh, lights, dude. That's... I have so many of those goddamn batteries now; it's dumb. Yep, but they're tough <laughs> to find. They are tough they to find. They are. They are. They're about the size of a pea, so, and you need like what four of them? Uh, three or four of them. They're like the hearing aid ones i can't remember which ones they are exactly but those are tough to find you can find them at like just like some general stores carry them but hardware store hardware store yep yeah 
online all, all over god's creation to find them <laughs> and i found them at a goddamn hardware store like literally a minute down the road from where i work i was like so funny i'm like there they are so that was uh yeah because turning on that light you know how it like kind of blinks as it starts to die mm-hmm. when you're in the tree stand you start to see that you're like shit shit yeah. you're like kind of rotating it a little bit just to make sure like come on come on don't die on me now don't die on me now yeah but yeah, yeah that sight light it's a sight light it illuminates your pins um that is essential for those like low light type of shots that you have right before um legal time so yeah uh, also getting into tree stands blinds new tree stand setups this is a good time to buy those and practice with them if it's a saddle and sticks or get them set up if it's a ladder stand or if it's a blind making sure it doesn't smell like plastic um getting those now rather than later because i don't know the availability is on all that but if you buy something online sometimes directly from a manufacturer it does take time to ship and they only make it in certain uh batches so you don't know what the availability is of some of this equipment so it's good to look into it now yeah and if i mean i always buy new just because i know the history behind it it's brand new out of the box but if you're like in a pinch and you you know hard on money or something like that even just like a used tree stand would work just just fine as well um you know i've used all kinds of tree stands with sticks ladder stands climbing stands i mean they all work you know um, but like you say, you just got to practice with them and get efficient with them. So getting those sooner rather than later is essential for your success of the season. And shooting um, out of them. Yeah, definitely practice. You know, if you can have a buddy down on the ground and you up high so you can pass your arrows up and down so you don't have to keep climbing up and down from your, your tree stand. Mm-hmm. Uh, just an afternoon with you and your buddy shooting, that, I mean, that, that pays off. It really does. Because the angle of shooting down, I mean... It's a different ball game rather than shooting on a linear line, you know. Um, Especially if so, you're in the saddle too, you have to think about all your ropes and your way, and how, how your arms have to be in order to take all the shots you want to take. And if you want to be extremely efficient and shoot all the way around the tree, it does take some work getting used yep. to doing that, because you know that one spot you don't want them to come, that's where they're gonna show up, and that's where you have to take the I, oh, shot. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. And my biggest thing with the saddle is, like, your legs. Situating your legs during a shot. Like, you know, how do I want my leg to be on this left side to pivot around the right side of the tree? How, where do I want to position that? Those little things are going to make you more successful come the season. So and you learn on the fly, too. Because in season, you're still learning all these different little tricks and, and your setup and how to move around the tree when you want to take a shot. Every time I get in the saddle, I get to full draw, and I just go around the tree, make sure, okay, I can hit all my marks, I can get to all my anchor points, and I'm able to take a good shot when the time comes. Every single time I do it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which kind of brings us to make your checklist. So, like, you know, if you are if you start to go through all the things that we just mentioned, I mean, make yourself a grocery list and execute that grocery list as soon as possible. Um, you know, go through all your equipment, get it down, get it done, get it ordered, and get it here as fast as possible. So that way, come opening day, you're just sitting pretty. You know, you're just sitting back going, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And on top of that, I'm going to take this out of your playbook. A different type of checklist you can make is what do you need for your hunt? So 
when you get out of the truck or the car, what do you need on you? And make that checklist. Do I have my release, my bows, my arrow, my quiver, my saddle, my sticks, all my ropes, a tow rope, a light, a knife, all these different things. When you're actually going to go in the woods, write them down now because you always do it. And yep. you've forgotten stuff. I always keep everything in like two boxes. And if the two boxes are in my car, I know I'm good. But for those who don't, it's always good just to have your everyday checklist down. And then you can look, okay, well, I need a new tow rope or I need a new flashlight or what have you. So getting those checklists down will help you in season for sure. Nothing's worse getting into the tree stand, sitting down, then going, okay, let's get my release ready. Oh, shit. Wait, I don't even have my release. I've done that before, like years ago. But yes, I always have a daily checklist of all my equipment. And before I walk out the door or as soon as I leave the car, I do a quick scan of that list to make sure I'm good. Um, that's just like a, a procedural thing that I do. Kind of, ridic- kind of ridiculous, but eh, it Not works. really. I, I think like when every time before I go into the woods, you know, I have my saddle on me, I have my sticks on me, I have my bone hand, and then I just kind of like, it's like when you tap for your wallet and keys in your pockets, like yes. I have them both. Yes. Okay, that's what I do. I have my range finder here, boom, I have bow here, boom, release, bam. And it's like I have all this stuff, I'm ready to go hunt. Yes, exactly. So uh, a new segment that we are starting, you introduced the other one, I'm going to introduce this one. Uh, a new segment that we are starting is the camera pull of the week. Because as we get our cameras out there, as we start doing our homework, we gotta we gotta break down the the target list, the hit list, if as we discussed, um, of what's out there. So you haven't put out your cameras yet. I have not, just because the property situation, certain properties don't allow you to have cameras out until September, and I have an October opener, so I have some time to kill before I can put the cameras out. But I have another property that I can. And I'm going to get batteries this weekend so I can put them out next week. But I'm also still scouting. I don't know exactly where I'm putting my cameras. So I still have a lot of homework to do. But I have this entire summer. (laughs) So this is, uh, I got mine out a week ago. Was it a week ago? No, two weeks ago now, right? Um, Two weeks ago, I put out six cameras. Yes, you heard me right, six. Um, (laughs) So I put out six cameras um, for a week. And put them on the legendary spots that I knew that those deer traveled. And even after a week, uh, I went, I did a quick scan through the pictures. And then I always do like a, a more thorough search through those pictures. Um, the deer activity is significant. Uh, it looks good. This year <laughs> is looking really good. Very, uh, very I ha- good. I have, as of right now, and you'll probably share this on Instagram, but uh, I have about five to seven bucks right now. The majority of them are spike horns, uh, but I got one big boy, a nice wide eight that I'm looking at. And we were talking about this the other night. It's kind of hard to determine who he is from years past right now, just because with a velvet, he's about three quarters of the way, maybe half of the way through his growth when the pictures I got of him and I mean, they're growing anywhere between an eighth to a quarter inch of their antlers per day. So he's still growing. And I think when he becomes full, um, fully grown, it's going to be a better idea of like, okay, who is this? Um, because as of right now, I'm, 
I could take a guess or a stab, but um, I'm not really entirely sure. Yeah, it's definitely too early to tell because it kind of looks similar with those racks, all velvet, and they're still growing like almost stubby right now because they're kind of fat yeah. and short, and they're still trying to grow upwards right now. So it's kind of hard to tell, but definitely you have one butte. Two yes. other uh, interesting cats <laughs> out there. <laughs> cats. Uh, so yeah, I have a mystery, the mystery wide eight that I'm not sure of. And then, uh, these two, we are, well, I, I showed Andrew these pictures last night and it's just basically like shit. Like I would say about straight up shit. (laughs) It's like six inches high right now. And it's about the diameter of like a red solo cup. And there's shit going every which way on this son of a bitch's head. Like on one of them, he's got like. A chunk of antler that goes what six to eight inches beat backwards. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like what the hell is that? So it almost looks like Hellboy. So I named him Hellboy just because I mean he definitely had an antler that broke off. Like he he had something established and it looked like it broke off or like snapped off on one side, but it's still like I don't know. I don't know if it's still growing from like the base. It's yeah. weird. It's, it's I couldn't even describe it because it's just like a bunch of sprouts coming out. It, yeah, it, it's just like shit going every which way. And then I thought that with this other buck that it was the same deer, but then Andrew like looked at it a little bit closer last night. He's like, dude, you you got two different bucks here that got multiple shit going on. And this buck, his extensions are more like they almost have like extensions that come out. One has a, it's on his, his left side. It comes out in front of his head and there's like a big chicken nugget, like on top (laughs) of it, on top of that tine. Like, it's just weird. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see when they fully like develop. Yeah. Yeah. One of those, one of those bucks looks like it got hit by a car. Like it just looked mangled on the front end. Yeah, I, yeah, it, it's definitely, I should possibly maybe get video to see if it's walking okay, but, like, its head just doesn't look, I mean, it, it looks like a deer. It's not, like, mangled and, like, legs are hanging and shit like that, and we're not saying that. It's It looks like a deer, but it looks like from, like, a past history, like, trauma or something. Like It looks like just, it took a right hook right to the face. <laughs> almost like a car like drove like past and like took off its antlers yeah. or like maybe you know it's just weird and I the, don't know. it's fur it's kind of like it's not like clean it's not like, yeah. like nice shine to it it's kind of like fuzzy and patchy and a couple spots on his shoulder which is definitely weird but yeah it's going to be interesting to see when once the velvet's off and what they look like yeah, when I pull the cameras this this coming week, uh, the end of this week, it's gonna be interested to see like where they have gone in the course of like a week. You know, I'll have a better idea of who's who as they start to grow because those two bucks that have the mangled racks, I mean, it's gonna be like I said, pretty damn cool to see what happens there. Um, so, but uh, all right, now I named the two. Um, one of them is called Hellboy. And then the other one is called Hanson. So um, <laughs> kind of an inside joke there. But, uh, yeah, so three bucks right now that I've, I'm closely observing. Uh, like I said, the other spike horns are your typical, like, I don't know, two-point spike horns. Uh, some of them have taller tines than others, but um, 
it's just kind of cool to see the the younger generation is coming up and the younger generation is is pretty healthy yep your uh, your qdm as we would say exactly it's definitely paid off i mean the the herd's looking pretty pretty healthy the herd's healthy but i'd like to see maybe one or two more big boys in there uh a few more contenders would be nice but um we'll see definitely early too because you only had one pull so you definitely could have two or three out there because usually you do have like two or three big boys they get in summertime and then you always have those stragglers and then the rut um the rut time bucks that just come on through yeah and two of the cameras um i'll make this short and sweet two of the cameras did not produce photos because of user error and they were (laughs) brand new cameras so i didn't know how the fuck they worked um which i'm glad i made that mistake early rather than later in the season uh but now i know like okay how it works and the setup and everything so it's the same camera that you use but um you know trial and error so we're good to go <laughs> that's why you got to practice before make sure you send it up before because if you get in that new equipment you don't know how it works and you're just going in the woods with it you know you're gonna have these mistakes but we still make yeah. them all the time <laughs> oh yeah absolutely so that's the camera poll of the week. Uh, we'll keep you updated on that wide eight uh, and also the uh, Hellboy and Hanson, what they actually become. We'll try and get those uh, pictures out to you guys on Instagram so you can see the the story behind them and where they where they come from and um, seeing where they're going. So we'll see. We yeah. will see. And I definitely got to get my cameras out there, so hopefully I can add to that, but we will see. I have no idea what's going to be out there, but... We'll cross that bridge when we get to it. <laughs> so getting in the woods, uh, our last uh, our last piece here for you folks. So um, we've already that, been alluding to it this entire time where we've yep. been getting in the woods, we've been getting our cameras out there, we've been setting up, scouting and whatnot. So this is the time to get your permissions and then go scout. Just get boots on the ground, especially for if you're in a situation like myself where I have no knowledge of the area. I've been reaching out to people, talking to people, everyone I can talk to, I ask, do you hunt? Do you know someone that does hunt? Do you have properties or know of someone with properties? Get those connections, establish that, and then get in the woods. Make sure you know, we're going to get into it all, but scouting, finding places to actually hunt, set up all these different areas, marking them down, writing them down, however you want to do it. Just getting out there, checking out the actual land, reading sign seeing what signs there is the property even worth hunting is this spot worth hunting where is the traffic going bedding areas feeding areas the whole gambit Um, checking the laws and regulations pertaining to your location the state and uh, property owners because you don't want to be breaking rules to people by cutting down trees and they're like what the hell are you doing yeah i mean it's no different than like fishing that we've been discussing you know like specific bodies of water have uh specific laws some are gen laws some have more specific laws like fly fish only or size limits the same goes for hunting uh not size limits but uh same goes for hunting with you know different laws you know depending on what state you're in or what region you're in so just be mindful of that and do your research before you uh, get in the woods. Like you don't want to be in your tree stand doing that research. That's a that's a big no no. But um, you know, just make sure that you understand the ins and outs of the law book before getting into the woods. So, yep, because you have 
like for me, I have a whole different state with different regulations, nothing that I'm used to before. There's some similarities that, you know, like I said earlier, the, the community down here isn't as receptive to hunting. I've had a lot of rude uh, responses to getting permission. Don't let that bother you. Don't let that deter you from asking people because the worst they're going to do is say no or not say anything yep. at all. Yep. But make sure you respect the landowners, understand the laws for uh, property access. Don't just be parking a car wherever and hacking trees down, saplings and whatnot, and trudging through the woods, putting cameras out. Like I said earlier, I can't even put cameras out on certain properties because I'm not allowed to. So make sure you're that's following crazy. those rules. Yeah, that's crazy. I know. It's like, it's almost like the. It, it's weird because you know, in some zones here in Maine, they're like people are like, "Oh, uh, do you guys put out cameras? Like, you should put out cameras. You should see what's out there." Like, they urge you to do that, and it's just funny. Like down there, it's it's almost like the opposite. Yep, yep. And make sure you label your stuff if you're putting stuff out there. And you know, there's a lot of rules down here pertaining to that. Labeling yep. your game camera with your hunting ID from your license. You know, there's just a lot of different little tidbits. You want to make sure you're crossing those T's and dying those I's because you do not want to be on the wrong end of the rules. Yep, exactly. Uh, this brings us to our next point. And for people in the state of Maine here, um, don't forget, or if you're if you're out of state but you're going to be hunting Maine, um, the doe permit application. So that's a lottery that uh, you can enter if you have a a valid uh, main hunting license. So the deadline for that is August 17th at 11.59 p.m. So don't forget to do that. Um, do it sooner rather than later so you don't forget. I am always hassling my old man. I'm like, Dad, get it in. He's like, oh, I will. Don't worry. It's always the night before. But get that in sooner rather than later. Um, and how that lottery works, I wanted to go over that just briefly so that people have a, a pretty good idea Um of what that looks like. So um, bear with me here. So I didn't know this, okay? There are five stages to the lottery. And I always buy the Super PAC hunting license. And the, the first stage is uh, Super PAC license holders receive up to 2.5% of the permits available in the WMDs with at least 3,500 permits. So in the first stage, the Super PAC people get the first, like, dip, really. The second stage, landowners who qualify for the landowner any deer permit drawing will receive up to 25% of the any deer permits available in each WMD. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting how then it goes to landowners. Third stage goes to junior hunters will receive up to 25% of any deer permits available. And then fourth stage, uh, the remaining any deer permits after the super pack landowner and junior hunters um, then go to the regular lottery. So the regular lo lottery doesn't even start until the fourth stage. So is the, what's the fifth stage? Is that out of the state? Fifth, so, okay, so that's a great transition. The fifth stage is then the bonus antlerless only deer permit lottery. Um, so that's your bonus tags, essentially. Yeah. So they just started doing that more recently over the past few years uh, with a fifth stage. So with a bonus, with a bonus deer permit, um, you're essentially applying for the any deer permit, antlerless, uh, you know, the doe tag, if you will, in the lottery. And then if you get a doe tag, there's an opportunity for you to get a bonus tag. So I thought, you know, 
last year I put in for a district that didn't have a high demand of, of doe permits. So this year what I did strategically was I put in for my, my doe permit region and then I put in for a bonus tag down, uh, down by my dad's house, which is a higher population of deer. So hmm. I'm hoping that maybe I'll get a doe tag in southern Maine. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of my thought process there. But I thought that how that worked was kind of interesting. So, and for mass, it's not that difficult at all. <laughs> so um, there is a lottery in quotations. I don't really know the breakdown of the lottery because it doesn't give you on the state website from what I saw. But yep. it opens July first. So you just apply and you pick your district. Obviously, there's different districts with different uh, antler list tags. So as you head east, there's more uh, antler list tags. And as you head west, there's less and less. And that's kind of like representative of the density of the deer. There's a lot more deer density in eastern mass than there is in western mass. So you just pick your zone in the lottery on the state website. And then you get those results September 1st, I think. And then... Mm -hmm. If there's any leftover tags, you can just directly purchase them September 1st. So, gotcha. If That's you're looking cool. to get another antler list tag, make sure you check that website first come, first serve once they're over the counter. So, make sure you do that if you're down in Mass like me. So, <laughs> and something to add with the bonus tag in the state of Maine, um, you're, you are able to use um, the tag for archery, expanded archery firearm or muzzle loading so any of those seasons as long as the deer the permit that you were given is in that wmd that district so that was kind of cool yeah um so i thought that was very interesting another point that uh, i want to make and highlight that is if you get a doe permit but you want to transfer it over to somebody else you are able to do that the transferring process the transferring deadline uh, is October 25th. So you have to make that transfer by October 25th. Hmm. Um, so there's that there's that opportunity for you as well. And finally, I thought this was interesting. The totals, dude, for uh, the 2021 season, I'm just going to give you the grand total dough permits. The grand total. 153,910. Holy shit. <laughs> it's a fuck ton of deer, dude. Holy shit. Like, good God. Now, in the district that I'm in, you're looking at a total, and this includes your super pack, landowner, junior, and regular doe permits. In my district, you're looking at like 10,000. Yeah. Just in that one district, which is crazy. But then you go down to like southern Maine, and you're looking at like upwards of 20 to 25,000 permits holy shit that's a lot <laughs> dude that's so but like i get it it's a higher concentration of deer down there but freaking a dude 153,000. i want like that is just a crap ton that's so much meat <laughs> just for super packs just for super packs is 36 uh 3633 the regular doe permits for like regular lottery entries you're looking at 72,980. Holy mackerel. Good opportunity. Take advantage of it. It's fucking insane, dude. It's a lot of deer. Now, not every single one of those hunters is going to, you know, fill that tag, but still. Yep. 
Yep. It's. I wonder what the algorithm for determining the number of tags is. It's probably pretty um, interesting. I, I'd be interested to hear it from a biologist as far as like how they determine that and like, you know, what data are they using and so on and so forth. I'd be really curious to see how they, like you said, go through that and produce that like algorithm of like, okay, this is how many tags we're going to get this year. So it's many. Just, it just seems like it keeps going up and up and up and up. And let's be real. Yeah. Like we still see a shit ton of deer. So do we need to do something more to manage this this population? Like, are we doing enough to manage this population in the state of Maine? Or I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I a lot of people I we both knew were successful. It's not like there wasn't a lot of like disappointing seasons as a whole. Maybe not in terms of big bucks, but at least deer. There's plenty of opportunity. Yeah, I mean, it's it's gonna be. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but uh, I just thought that was some unique information to report out. For sure. So on tomorrow's hunt, a.k.a. the next podcast, we're going to start <laughs> discussing a lot more scouting, a lot more trail camera use, getting into the nitty-gritty details of getting in the woods like we like to talk about. Uh, it's going to be going over, hopefully all the little little things that we can think of but that would last uh three hours of conversation because we already talk on the phone for hours on end so yeah try to hit more or less the bigger bigger more important stuff but then dive deeper into that yeah so it's it's essentially like what we do to prepare for the season you know like he said the cameras but the scouting maybe even some tree stands set up um you know just going through this nitty-gritty of like how do we break down step by step of what to do? And hopefully those little tidbits will make you guys uh, more successful in your hunts and preparing for the upcoming season as well. So every little step you take, it does lead to an increased chance of a successful harvest. So make sure you check out that pod. Make sure you check out the Instagram. And again, like and share with everyone you know. You know, we're trying and to build And if you that have any questions... Yeah, if you have any questions for us, like don't be afraid to reach out to us. Please, please, please. Just DM um, us. Absolutely. You know, uh, reach out to us if you have any questions or things that you want us to talk about on the pod. That would be a great little segment too. Um, but as always, folks, get in the woods. And get on the water.